continuing on the, the five solas, and today um, unpacking a little bit about uh, what Dr. Nichols talked to Sola Gratia, Grace Alone. Let me just remind you, if you're joining us for the first time, if you've maybe listened to one of the sermons and haven't been able to, to just kind of follow with us uh, continually, just a real quick um, synopsis, uh, uh, um, uh, comprehend, just a, a quick thought on what, on what the five solas represent. Um, but I got this... Um, Thought from John Piper, his uh, online series called Look at the Book. He says, the five solas explain the solution to the fundamental problem of humankind. What is that problem? We are under the wrath of God and we are spiritually dead in our sins. How is that fixed? Well, our being made spiritually alive and God's becoming, that's a misprint, to say becoming, 100% for us in Christ is, by God's grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, received through faith alone, so that all things lead ultimately to the glory of God alone, with Scripture as the only final authority teaching these truths. So, that, in a nutshell, that is the, the thought of these five solas. And it's very difficult to isolate one. I know that's what kind of we're doing week to week. Uh, but these, these principles don't stand by themselves. They're one unit. Uh, um, and what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to talk about next week, what um, Pastor Evan talked about last week and what uh, uh, we're talking about this week on Sunday. I'm sorry, uh, Keith talked about two weeks ago and Evan talked about last week, sola gratia, grace alone and faith alone. Um, th- these are, are two interwoven principles that it's very hard to kind of divide them in terms of one means one thing and the other one means the other thing. Um, it's as if you're, you're, you're looking at a diamond and, you know, diamonds have different faces to them and, and coming at sola gratia, uh, grace alone, it's like looking at one of the faces of the diamond. You go to the other side of the diamond, then you're looking at faith alone, but they're all really talking about the same thing. So let's define grace alone. I found this really helpful definition, Table Talk Magazine, uh, Ligonier Ministries. Grace alone means that salvation, and I underline this for you, from beginning to end is the sovereign gift of God to the unworthy and undeserving. So the principle of grace alone, that salvation, God does something at the beginning and at the end and in between. It's a sovereign gift of God to the unworthy and undeserving. This doctrine means that nothing the sinner does commends him to the grace of God. And that the sinner does not cooperate with God in order to merit his salvation. You've got some key texts I placed there. These are not the only texts that teach this. I would like to read Ephesians 2. It's on the second page of the handout. And just kind of get you to point, point something out for you uh, that the Apostle Paul writes. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. I just want to take you to the top of that verse and look at that kind of parenthetical thought that breaks up what would be a really nice flowing sentence. So that by grace you have been saved. If you remove that and keep reading, so where it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that that insertion of the apostle Paul um you see how that breaks that up just kind of kind of breaks that clear flow and and one of the reasons I think he does that is is to emphasize something uh to to emphasize uh really the 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 core uh, idea of grace alone in made us alive together with Christ. So God has done something. He has initiated something. He has been the one who has led to do something. He has effected something um, that we have been the recipients of, um, namely his grace in our salvation. So, um, yikes. Let me... Uh, Scoot back down and you have this bullet point. I want to talk about something that, that you hear among um, you know, believers, evangelicals, and, and just how we, um, how, how we reference Roman Catholic beliefs. Um, so the question, does the Roman Catholic Church teach that we are saved by grace? My answer to that question is yes. Roman Catholicism believes that salvation is a result of the grace of God. Um, contrary to popular belief, Roman Catholicity does Roman theology does not teach that we are saved by works. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with somebody uh, in, that comes from a Catholic tradition, and you maybe share the gospel with them? Um, maybe this maybe this happened in Alpha. The past couple to ten weeks, you're sharing, you know, the good news of Christ. You take him in John chapter three. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and, and they're agreeing with you. And 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 you tell them, you know, salvation is by grace. And then they're agreeing with you. And 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 then you you kind of walk out of that conversation scratching your head, and you're like, wait a minute. Then then then, then what's wrong? You know, I, I thought that. Catholic Church taught that to be saved, you're saved by your works. And actually, that is not entirely true. Uh, I, I, I would even say that's not, that's not, well, entirely true. Um, the issue is not salvation by grace. The issue, and as we'll see in a little bit, that's a pretty big deal, is salvation by grace alone. Um, this week was an awesome week of study. There is, uh, Roman Catholic theology has centuries of development, millennia of development even. This is a convoluted uh, uh, system. So I'm going to do my best to kind of simplify this, but R.C. Sproul gives us this thought in his book, uh, Are We Together? He says, from the 16th century to today, the Roman Catholic Church has said that justification requires faith, the grace of God, and the work of Christ. The debate arose because Protestants said justification requires faith alone, sola fide, whereas Rome said justification requires faith plus works, grace plus merit, and Christ plus inherit righteousness. So the issue is not that the Catholic Church teaches that we are, we are not saved by God's grace, that God's grace plays no role in our salvation. That is not true. 
Catholic theology teaches that people are saved by the grace of God, but what they define as the grace of God is very different than what Protestants would define as the grace of God. In terms of what the grace of God does, in terms of how comprehensive the grace of God is, in terms of how lasting the grace of God is, and more importantly, probably most importantly, in terms of how sufficient the grace of God is. Roman Catholic teaches, Roman Catholic theology teaches that God, you are saved by grace, but grace is, grace is necessary for salvation. They believe that. They teach that. Grace is necessary for salvation, but it is not sufficient for salvation. I'll say it again. Roman Catholic theology teaches that grace is necessary for salvation. So, if you've shared with people, you know, if you've talked about Roman Catholic theology in terms of they don't believe in grace, that they believe you're saved through works, that's not entirely accurate. And it could be a misrepresentation of what they believe. This is kind of what we're doing this. We're trying to educate ourselves and and, and trying to bring the truth of God. Uh, But to do that, we want to represent um, people on the other side of kind of the theological spectrum well and understand what they believe. Uh, but they would believe that grace, the grace of God, is necessary for salvation. You need God's grace to be saved. God moves by grace to save you, but it is not sufficient. You need to add things to that grace. Whereas we as Protestants would believe that grace, salvation is by grace alone. Grace is necessary for salvation, and grace is sufficient for salvation. And we'll unpack um, what that looks like in a little bit. You say tomato, I say tomato. Um, At the issue of this is the word justification. What does justification mean? Um, How does justification relate to the grace of God? The word justification, um, basically, um, there's two two streams of thoughts um, in terms of what that word means and how it relates to salvation. Uh, the idea of God declaring someone righteous to be declared righteous versus to make righteous. So Protestant theology, we would believe that justification means God declares a person Righteous. You are now righteous. You stand just before a holy God. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are expiated. Your sins are forgotten. And you are now righteous. You wear the robe of Christ's righteousness. Um, versus the idea of making a person righteous. Okay, I've, um, I'm, I've taken away your sins, but... And a helpful analogy that I found to this was um, uh, a credit score. So how, how many of y'all have a, a, a mortgage or a credit card or, or, or everyone should be raising their hand at some point, right? We all have some sort of credit line and lenders and banks use this thing called the credit score, right? And, um, and to, to kind of give you the compare and contrast of, of what just justification would be, imagine if you um, just like, you know, are really bad with your credit card and you rack up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card bills and, um, you know, you wind up defaulting on your home loan and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, you get repossessed. So your, 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 your credit score gets really bad, right? Well, the idea, the Roman Catholic idea of justification would say that God has made you righteous. So he's wiped away all the debt that you have. 
He's wiped the slate clean. So now you get to start from scratch. Okay, so he's made you righteous. That's the Roman Catholic belief. Declared righteous would be God has wiped away all our debt, but he's done more than that. You can have your debt wiped away, but what's behind that debt? A bad credit score, correct? You still have that reputation, and at any moment, your financial decisions could lead back to ruin, right? Versus the Protestant idea where God has declared you righteous, and not only are, is your, credit wiped, your, your, your debt wiped away, but God gives Christ's credit score over to you. So now when you go apply for credit, when you go to God, he looks not at your old credit score, he now looks at Christ's credit score on your behalf. And this is a permanent thing. So that's kind of an idea of the differences between the two. Um, To the Protestant, justification is a once and for all action. God declares the sinner just. Not only that, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Uh, let me encourage you to go uh, and listen to Pastor Evan's sermon last week on uh, Sola Fide. He, he dealt with this idea really, really well. Uh, but the, the, the issue is, we believe, Protestants would believe, that what God has done through Christ has permanently justified us before Him. We are permanently declared righteous before him once and for all it's done we now stand before god declared righteous nothing else needs to be done for us because everything that needed to be done for us has already been done so we stand before him dressed in the righteousness of christ whereas the roman catholic church would believe that justification comes to you as an initial condition but you can screw that up and you can do things to change the justi- your justified state. You can kind of back away from it, so then you need to do something to be re-justified. And then you do something to kind of back away from it again, and guess what? You need to do something to be re-justified. This is where the idea of works comes in, and we'll get to that. So, as you can see, these are pretty big differences, right? The pretty massive differences in terms of of what we what, what uh, the Protestant Church believes versus what the Roman Catholic theology would teach. Roman Catholic Church teaches that justification is not imputed to us, but rather imparted or infused to us. In other words, we are handed something that we must properly take care of, and we must take great care to not lose it. So I'll read that again. The the Roman Catholic view of justification is that we are handed something incredibly valuable. Here, hold on to this. Take care of it. Don't lose it. So the implication there is what? That you can lose it. The implication that it depends on you to make sure that this thing you've been given stays in the original form, in the original means that it was given. And I'm not just making that up. Let me read you some official Roman Catholic Church teaching from the Council of Trent, which is a document created after the Reformation or during the Reformation uh, period that has not been um, discarded. It's actually still, it's actually been been, uh, um, um, 
continue to be spoken of in terms of being accurate, in terms of being authoritative. But Canon 9 says, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. Look at Canon 30. If anyone says that after the reception of the grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted and the debt of eternal punishment so blotted out to every repentant sinner that no debt of temporal punishment remains to be discharged, translation, you don't have to do something to get it back, either in this world or in purgatory before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be anathema. So, you can imagine that that this is what Luther, this is what Zwingli, this is what Calvin, this is what these men are responding to. We're not just splitting hairs. We're not just tomato, tomato. It's it's not really just oh you you know you're from the north. You pronounce things this way. I remember when I moved here from Honduras and I was driving uh, through um, uh, uh, through Mississippi. Uh, through the Gulf Coast, I uh, called a friend of him, a fr- friend of mine who was waiting for me, and he said, "Hey, where are you?" And I looked at a at a, a, a sign. And it said, "Oh, I'm by Past Christian," and he laughed. And I said, what, "What's so funny?" And he, I'm, I, Pat, the sign says, "Past Christian." And he's like, "No, Ronald, it's Past Christian." And I'm like, "Wait, what? Past Christian? Like the name is Christian, the denomination is Christian, but in Mississippi, it's Christian, right?" So we're not just playing this game of, you know, you say it one way, I say it the other way, and it's really not that big of a deal. It's a pretty massive deal. It's a pretty significant deal to say that God gives grace for a time. You are justified for a time, and then you, based on what you do, can undo, can unmerit that grace, and then have to merit it back, which is kind of where we're going. Bottom page there, the entire theological framework consists on a view of sin that teaches that there are two types of sin, venial sins and mortal sins. You might have heard about this. Venial sins are your everyday run-of-the-mill sins. You know, you lie, you cheat on your taxes, you, you know, kind of scream obscenities at a person who cuts you in traffic. That's just venial sins, right? Everyday type of sins. Mortal sins, well, that sounds serious. Mortal, you know. Um, that's like murdering somebody. Well, I'm not going to get. I just don't have time to get into the, you know, the list of them. But suffice it to say, both types of them in different ways affect your justification before God. So, when you are justified before God under Roman Catholic theology, your sins affect that. What you do affect that. There's different layers or degrees of severity. So if you commit a venial sin, for example, if you lie, if you lie, um, you've lost some grace that you need to do something to regain that grace. If you commit a mortal sin and that sin goes unconfessed, your justification is so um, um, affected that you actually go to hell. So your sins ultimately hold power over God's grace and justifying work in your life. Now, why is this so? Like, why is this so? This is so because justification and sanctification in Roman Catholic thought are interwoven. Um, 
let me see if I got time to do this. And if there's a marker. I'm going to write a big old fancy um, Latin word here, Latin phrase, ordo salutis, um, because that makes me sound really official and smart, um, and I need all the help I can get. But don't have a whole bunch of time to go through this, but under Protestant theology, um, classic Reformed Protestant theology teaches that, you know, there are, there's a sequence to salvation, Right? Things happen um, logically. Uh, so God predestines, uh, the call of uh, um, the gospel rings forth. And I know at Lakeview we've talked about this because I've heard this talked about, but there are three steps in the nine-step process of, of um, salvation. Um, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification being what we're talking about. God's move to declare us righteous. Sanctification, which we know is from that moment till the moment we die. In other words, our lives. Apostle Paul talks about going from one degree, one degree of glory to another. Um, becoming more Christ-like. Um, the Holy Spirit in us moving us to resist sin more and more and to peel back those layers of, of the affected flesh. So our lives, the entire breadth of your life, from the moment you come to Christ and you are justified before Christ to the moment you die, this process is called sanctification. You're being sanctified. You're being made more holy. And then what happens at the end of your life when you die, glorification, right? We've always understood these three things to happen in that way. Roman Catholic theology has this interesting thing where it takes the idea of justification and it merits it with sanctification. So, justification happens here for the Protestant. God declares his right we are saved. That salvation cannot be lost. So what happens between that moment to the moment we die? We grow more in Christ-likeness. We, we are taught by the Holy Spirit to love God more. We love Him more with our mind, with our heart, with our will, with our affections. Every, every part of us, the more we walk with God, the more like Him we become. First uh, Peter, be holy for I am holy. We become holier. That should be what a Christian life looks like. That process is called sanctification. Roman Catholic theology would teach that justification and sanctification are tied at the hip. So, what happens when you sin? You need to be re-justified. You're justified, and because sanctification becoming Christ-like are the same, the moment you sin... Well, now you're less Christ-like than you were before. So now, guess what? You need to be re-justified again. And so on and so forth and so forth. Um, and what does that have to do with, really, the greater scheme of works? What does that have to do with, with um, well, bottom line, whatever type of sin you commit, there's still payment to be made. This is the big issue. Whatever type of sin you commit, whether venial or mortal, whether a really, really big sin or a really, really 
little sin. That sin has made you unright before God. You have done something to mar the justification that God gave you. So now you need to do something. You need to merit God's favor. And here's where the works, and here is where the sacraments come in. So the solution under Roman Catholic theology is the sacramental system. You might know that there are seven sacraments in Roman Catholic theology. And the first one, baptism, is absolutely crucial. For you to enter into the state of grace, for you to come and know the grace of God firsthand, like the starting line, but before we can talk about mortal and venial sins, before we can talk about justification, before we can talk about glorification, before we can talk about sacraments, the first thing that must happen in your life to be given or to receive the grace of God is baptism. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in 1995, section 1992, says this, Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God, who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Listen to this. Its purpose is the glory of God and the gift of eternal life. Um, like I told you earlier, Catholic, church, Catholic theology is, is, is really interesting because they will teach... Catholic theology teaches that baptism itself doesn't save you. What saves you is the grace of God and the work of Christ on the cross. But you need baptism to be saved. So, it's, it's, they're tied at the hip. Salvation and baptism are tied at the hip. Um, and what we would understand grace alone through faith alone... In other words, the grace of God comes to us. But how is that grace applied? What instrument is used to have that grace reckoned on us, applied to us? We would say, by faith. Grace of God by faith. Faith is the instrument that we would believe applies the redeeming work of Christ on our lives. Roman Catholic theology would teach it is not actually faith, but it is baptism. So, let me finish with you some key differences, and I'm not going to move into a time of Q&A, but I am going to move into a time of asking you guys, for the next three or four weeks as we do this, would you help us teach this these next three weeks by telling us questions you might have? So if you have a question about Roman Catholic theology, if you have a question about the interplay, you know, what do we believe versus what, what does Roman Catholic theology teach? Um, how do we engage with, with Roman Catholics? Um, if you're here and you're, you're kind of new and maybe you come from a Roman Catholic uh, background, uh, uh, you know, the last thing we want to do is, 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 is paint a, a, a wrong picture of, of beliefs, but, but last week we talked about sola scriptura, the guiding principle of what we believe is what's in the, in the scriptures, what's in the Bible alone. So we believe that this is important. So quickly, some key differences. Protestant view, our view, God moved by grace, declares a sinner just, and imputes his righteousness on the sinner through the means of faith. The Roman Catholic view would teach God, moved by grace, declares a sinner just, so far so good, right? 
and infuses his righteousness on the sinner through the means of baptism. So it's kind of like you get a B12 shot of spirituality. Baptism gives you kind of a, a booster shot to your um, to your um, um, uh, flu shot, to your vaccine, right? But it's still up to you. It's still up to your body to respond, and it's still up to, to your own self to kind of continue. Uh, the second key difference, the grace of God has justified the sinner permanently. This is a glorious thing that we believe, that what God has done in Christ, that Hebrew talks about the sacrifice once and for all, it's done. What Christ said on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say it is finished until you do this. He didn't say it is finished, but be careful not to do this. Christ said it is finished. The work of God to redeem humankind is done. The Roman Catholic theology would teach the grace of God has justified the, the sinner initially. So, the moment a baby is baptized, the moment an adult is baptized in Roman Catholic theology, at that moment, he is justified before God. Their sins are cleansed and forgiven. That act doesn't save them again. They would say the salvation comes from Christ, but that act is necessary to apply that salvation, so you're kind of saying the same thing differently. Nevertheless, um, at that moment of baptism, you are justified. You are blameless. You are spotless before God. And then anything you do after that, well, affects that spotless nature. So you can, you can wash, you know, your white lawn, your white sheets with bleach, and they're really nice, and God gives you those white sheets, and then, you know what, carrying them from your, your, um, my dryer and my washer are in my garage, and I have to venture through kids and spilled milk all over the place, I can trip and drop my white sheets, and now they got dirty. So th- that is a very, actually, a very good, uh, analogy to the Roman Catholic Thought, uh, uh, teaching of justification. You can get it dirty. You can affect it by what you do. Third key difference, our works are the product of our faith and the saving grace of God in our lives. Roman Catholic theology would teach our works are the necessary companion to our faith to merit and preserve the saving grace of God in our lives. So we as Protestants believe that works matter. Works. Listen, you could you could claim to be a Christian, but your life is going to bear witness to your Christianity. What Catholic theology would teach: not only does your does your life bear witness to your Christianity, your life continues to aid in the work of Christ. It merits your grace. What you do affects your justification in the in the negative. You get unjustified, and it also gives you merit before. God. Um, Faith needs works. Faith needs works for it to apply. And then finally, once received, the saving grace of God is permanent. Roman Catholic theology, the saving grace of God can be received, lost, and regained. This is why purgatory is there, uh, um, um, just a whole bunch of other things. So, I've taken way too much time already. Um, so, l- l- let me ask you to do this. If, if you could just take 20, 30 seconds, if you have any questions on, on anything we've been talking about, uh, the purpose of this series, Would You Protest, is to remind us of what is in this book, of what God has, the oracles of God throughout 
um, history and, and, and upholding his word and believing his word and knowing what we believe. Um, I grew up Catholic and I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Um, maybe that's your experience as well, but we're certainly not trying to disenfranchise anyone. Again, we're not trying to tell you you're evil or we don't like you or, or whatever. Um, this is official Catholic doctrine. I've got scores of notes in my office if you want to look at them, but if you could just take time to write down some questions. Yes, Lester. Yes, yes, that was going to be my second point. If you need some time to think about them, would you send me an email? My name is Ronald, Ronald, and you go to church to, at Lakeview Christian Center. So Ronald at LakeviewChristianCenter.com. My name is Ronald, and you go to church at Lakeview Christian Center. Ronald at LakeviewChristianCenter.com, okay? So send me an email, and uh, hey, Ronald, I heard this. Uh, I had, I had um, uh, one of you guys come up to me and say, well, what about James chapter 2? You know, and if you know anything about the Bible, James chapter 2 literally says um, that salvation is by, not by faith alone. So how do we do with that? Well, uh, we're out of time, so uh, whoever's coming up next is going to have to deal with that. But, but um, thank you guys. Have a great day.